Hi, you're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Curiosity.com. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you'll learn what environmental cardiology has taught us about how we should live with help from Dr. Aruni Botnagar. Then you'll learn about the world's first 3D printed nuclear reactor core and why spaghetti always breaks in three. Let's satisfy some curiosity. You might be surprised to learn how quickly and how much your immediate environment can affect your health. For instance, did you know that the California wildfires in recent years may have led to as much as a 70% spike in heart attacks? I mean, we all know pollution is bad, but that's pretty huge. So to learn more, we got in touch with Dr. Aruni Bhatnagar, Professor of Medicine and Director of the Christina Lee Brown Environment Institute at the University of Louisville. He's a pioneering researcher in the field of environmental cardiology, and he's here with the scoop on some of the surprising ways our environment can affect our health. There is sufficient evidence to indicate that acute exposure to air pollution can trigger heart attacks. So there was a study out of Boston, so if there's a spike in air pollution, then six hours later there's a spike in heart attacks and admissions to ER. And then there is a 24-hour peak. So there is a six-hour and 24-hour peak after exposure to a high level of air pollution, which may be due to uh, arrhythmias and uh, changes in the electrical activity of the heart. Wow, six to 24 hours. That's, uh, I feel like your research should have some pretty big implications for the way that people live. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's true. In order to prevent things like heart disease and diabetes and obesity, which are now the major killers, we'll have to rethink how we live. And one of the ways is, is to be in social structured societies that do not emit high levels of air pollution, that provide opportunity for people to be around green spaces. We found a lot of uh, evidence that people who live in greener spaces live longer and healthier lives and are, have less stress just because you if you're living in a, in a green neighborhood. But there are other much wider implications. Uh, for instance, we tell all our patients with heart disease that, you know, you should exercise, that exercise is good for you. But then we make cities which, make, which is virtually impossible to walk, right? So putting the blame on the individual and, and saying you are fat and you're obese and you have heart disease because you're lazy is just completely misdirecting social energies we need to create a society where people walk to work, where they, walking is not something that we have to do as deliberately, but just a part of life. In fact, they found that the biggest determinant of obesity is population density. So if you live in a big city like New York or Paris or London, you are li- less likely to be obese because you're walking everywhere. I mean, even if you're running around trying to get into the subway or, or, or running away from muggers, you still are running. So you <laughs> have much healthier outcomes. People who live in areas where there are parks, where there are sidewalks, are healthier. And that there is a certain amount of tree canopy that needs to be in the city, not only to uh, remove air pollution, but to reduce stress and encourage people to be outside and such things. You know, we shouldn't be there having gyms and people going running on treadmills. That should be, this is what we should be doing in our everyday living. So if we need to seriously address the non-communicable diseases, we need to figure out how they're related to our social structures and how to optimize and make healthier living environments. So that is ultimately the whole point of environmental cardiology, that when we are doing these things, making cities, roads, neighborhoods, we should consider health as an essential outcome of those activities. 
Can you imagine living in a city designed to keep you healthy? If we can get civil engineers to work more closely with environmental cardiologists, who knows what our cities might look like in the future? Again, that was Dr. Aruni Bhatnagar. And in case you want to learn more about his work, we've linked to some super interesting articles about environmental cardiology in today's show notes. Researchers at Oak Ridge National Lab in Tennessee have been working on something pretty cool. The world's first nuclear reactor with a 3D printed core. It's called the Transformational Challenge Reactor, and it should go online in 2023. But the researchers didn't use 3D printing just to show off their manufacturing prowess. See, most nuclear power plants are still using technology that was developed in the 1950s and 60s. Because any mistakes can have disastrous consequences, the whole industry has been really slow to innovate. The team at Oak Ridge hopes to change that. Their approach has a bunch of advantages over conventional manufacturing. Building one continuous piece laid down one thin layer at a time sidesteps a lot of the problems and limitations that come with conventional machining, where each part is built separately and then put together. For one, you can use different materials. This team built the reactor's core out of silicon carbide, which is a tough material that's especially attractive for a reactor core because of its high melting point. 3D printing also allowed for complex networks of channels that will use helium gas to cool the reactor. The gas allows the reactor to get a lot hotter than conventional ones that use water. That makes it more efficient. The assemblies that hold the uranium fuel also have a complex design. They're formed out of irregular nine-sided polygons called nonagons. No conventional machining techniques could ever create such an intricate structure. Because it's so efficient, the reactor can afford to be small. The core itself is about the height of a bowling pin, and the reactor will be about the size of a small beer keg. This small size also helps avert the kinds of disasters that make big nuclear plants so infamous. One of the scientists compared it to caging an animal. Big nuclear reactors put a dragon in a cage within a cage within a cage, because if it got out, it would be incredibly destructive. This one puts a small bunny in a small cage. It's not as risky, but it still produces a lot of power. One of these units will generate about three megawatts, enough to satisfy about a thousand homes. The new design also offers a lot of data. Tiny cameras mounted on the printer's nozzle can send up a red flag if there's a manufacturing error, and sensors embedded in the device itself will allow operators to keep an eye on what's happening inside the reactor while it's running. The scientists and engineers involved in the project hope these improvements will dramatically reduce the amount of time and money it takes to get a nuclear system online. Here's to the future. If you take an uncooked spaghetti noodle and try to break it, it doesn't just snap in half. It practically shatters. If you do this with a handful of uncooked spaghetti noodles, you'll end up spraying shards of pasta all over your kitchen. And get this, the reason this happens puzzled scientists for decades, which, yeah, I know, sounds pretty preposterous. Well, don't worry, because 15 years ago, a pair of French scientists finally figured out why this happens. These scientists evaluated spaghetti noodles by simply treating them as thin, brittle rods. Maybe because their research extends to other rod-shaped materials. Maybe because they didn't want to write spaghetti a million times. We may never know. 
Anyway, they found that when you bend a rod like a spaghetti noodle by applying equal force to each end, it does snap in two at first. But then something weird happens. After this first break, the pieces flex backward, creating a series of bending waves. And these waves then break the spaghetti into more pieces. This discovery of spaghetti physics, also known as thin rod physics, made headlines in 2005. So knowing why spaghetti breaks into several pieces is one thing, but how can we stop it from happening? Luckily, more recent research has that answer too. A group of MIT scientists thought it would be possible to break a spaghetti noodle into two pieces exactly, and they would do that by gently twisting the noodle to counteract the bending waves that cause noodles to shatter. The team tested this in two ways, with a virtual model and by actually building a machine that would hold a spaghetti noodle and allow them to apply precise forces to each end. They eventually discovered if you twisted the uncooked noodle 270 degrees, then bent the ends at 3 millimeters per second, the spaghetti would break into two even pieces. Pasta la vista, baby! This new understanding might help material scientists keep certain materials from cracking or snapping under pressure. As for what it means for you, the spaghetti consumer, well, with a little bit of practice, you might be able to perfect a nifty dinner party trick. After all, life is about exploring the possibilities. Wow. Those puns were truly inspired. Sorry, Ashley. I was feeling saucy today. <laughs> well, today's episode was delicious. What did we learn today, Ashley? Well, we learned that if we want to help people stay healthy, then we need to rethink the way we design our cities. For instance, if it's hard to walk around, then people aren't going to want to walk around. Hopefully, we can work toward a future where we have green spaces and ways for people to walk, and not just on a treadmill at the gym. This didn't make the final cut from the interview, but Dr. B also mentions to us that people in economically disadvantaged communities have a lot less green space and a lot less infrastructure to walk around. So that's another thing that people should keep in mind when designing communities. We also learned that 3D printing nuclear reactor cores could make it a lot faster and cheaper to get a nuclear system online. And it may even be safer, too. Turns out we've made some technological advances since the 1950s and 60s. Who knew? And we solved a mystery that I've always wondered, and that is... Why you can't break spaghetti into two pieces. It's because when you break it, it causes bending waves that break the pasta even more. You could technically break a noodle in half by gently twisting it and bending the ends at a precise speed. Or, you know, you could just cook it and eat it and enjoy it. Just remember, if you do learn how to break it in half exactly, make sure you get it on video. You know, for pasta arity. Oh, mamma mia, what a great episode. Jeez. That's a spicy meatball. Today's stories were written by Grant Curran and Trevor English and edited by Ashley Hamer, who's the managing editor for Curiosity Daily. Script writing was by Cody Goff and Sonia Hodgen. Curiosity Daily is produced and edited by Cody Goff. Go eat some pasta. It's delicious. Then join us again tomorrow to learn something new in just a few minutes. And until then, stay curious.